Hello and welcome. Uh, great to be back. Great to be back here with Anna today. Anna, how are you today? I'm good, thanks, Rick. Yeah, good. Bright, bright and early and, uh, and ready to chat. Great. So look, episode 74, Anna. Um, what I want to do today is an area that I get asked about all the time, and I know you do too, which are the patients that present with fatigue. And and I thought what we would do here today is talk a little bit about the fatigue bundle, which I think you and your team kind of co-created a little while ago. And I think a number of us across the UK have, have used it as a, a bit of a scaffold for how we approach fatigue. But I know that like everything in your life, it evolves, it changes, there's iterations. And no doubt there may be things that you've added in now that aren't on my most recent list. So I thought it'd be really nice to explore that um, and then get into a little bit about what we should be testing for, how it might present, and then a little bit around management and accepting that we clearly can't do a podcast on each one, but we'll talk through a few of the ones that, that maybe are a little bit more difficult to think about and manage. So Anna, I just thought maybe if I kick off and and when I'm thinking about fatigue, you know, if you put it into Google or maybe something slightly more reputable than just a random Google, it seems like fatigue can have lots of definitions. But I, I think, you know, something around extreme tiredness resulting from a mental or, or physical exertion or illness is the sort of generic definition that we get. Let's think about it now through the context of um, IO, immunotherapy, and, and, and how that may finesse that definition. One of the things that I've heard you talk about in the past when I've heard you talk on fatigue is the importance of defining the tempo of fatigue. Now, I'm not sure I really understand, I think I understand the, the word tempo, but I'm not sure I really understand when you say defining the tempo, how you then use that to, to guide your thought process. So I'd be really keen to get, get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, fatigue is one of those things that has been sort of evolving as something that we recognise as being related to immunotherapy or as an immune an immune phenomenon, because we know that cancer patients, generally speaking, are fatigued. We know that cancer treatments often cause fatigue. And so for a long time, I think it, us recognising that it was something that we needed to be aware of was was not really there and I think the reason why increasingly I think we need to be more aware of it is that there's quite a lot of reversible factors um, that if we change we can improve a person's fatigue whereas that's not historically necessarily been the case so much with our our, our patients or our previous treatments and so we're in a slightly different um, landscape I think the other thing is that again in things like clinical trials it's not really recognized as being an immune phenomenon but it it almost certainly is. Um, and so, it, you know, it's interesting when you sort of read even most recent sort of uh, literature, it sort of says, you know, fatigue was a, was a, was uh, present in a huge number of people. Um, you know, absolutely. Some, some studies presenting people with fatigue, you know, significant fatigue in more than 50% of cases, um, but actually not really recognising it as being related to the sort of that, that immune mechanism, which is quite interesting. So, so I think fatigue and us, us needing to, be more aware of it and action it more is a new thing and so understanding what kind of fatigue it is is also really important because it helps us understand a if there's possibly a reversible cause and b what that reversible cause may be um, because actually things that cause you to be tired from one day into the next 
are likely to be very different from things that cause you to be tired one month into the next. So when I talk about tempo, what I really mean is, did somebody feel well up until last week and over the last few days they have become increasingly exhausted and now can't get off the sofa? Or are they just less able to do the things they would do normally or actually are they still doing the things they do normally but they're having to have longer recovery times they're having to have a nap in the middle of the day having to go to bed early at night and then the other group is they're able to do what they do but they just feel constantly exhausted and when they go to sleep when they wake up in the morning they feel no different so what is evolving is that there are different types of fatigue and understanding what they are helps us understand potentially what the what the causes of that are and and we'll obviously talk a bit more about that um it as we go on into the podcast I think the other thing is that some patients will describe other symptoms that are actually symptoms of tiredness or fatigue so for example some people will tell you that they're breathless and actually when you dig down into it they're not breathless they, they, they don't have a problem with their respiratory system their lungs are fine but they're just their energy levels are low and when they try and do something they feel tired and feel breathless so again some of those other other signs and symptoms that people will will um describe have you going down things like um you know oh, i feel really weak actually that's often tiredness rather than it being muscular weakness or neurological weakness or I feel breathless thinking you know is this is this a pneumonitis so actually understanding where the the tiredness and fatigue fits into the patient's symptomatology also helps you understand whether you're dealing with a different organ system or actually are you dealing with a sort of more systemic issue that needs that needs investigation in a different way so really taking and 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 it oh i'm five minutes in it's all in the history it's all in the history but it is it is all in the history because actually you know people will people will describe fatigue in very different ways and we actually have to understand what they're talking about so actually spending some time digging down into what they mean when they use these phrases really again helps us understand that this is a global fatigue picture or this is an organ specific toxicity Okay, Anna, let me push you a little bit. Earlier, I know to be pushing you already. So that funneling down, because I actually think that's a really, really important point, because I think it is easy to kind of get lost in their description of fatigue and think it is shortness of breath or think it is uh, a muscle ache or a joint problem. How do you then, coming back to that history, how do you move the patient you know if you if it is not the you know that it is the shortest breath it actually is fatigue how do you how do you get there with your questions so how do you bottom out that this is a fatigue problem so one of the things that people really struggle to do is is to actually try and tell me how long things have been going on for so my first question is how long have you felt tired for or how long have you felt like this for and people really struggle to do that so one of the things I'm, I ask them to do is go back and think about how they were yesterday how they were last week how they were last month and are they significantly different today to how they were then and if you if they go I was I was exhausted yesterday but last week I felt fine I know that I've got something that's happening quite acutely um if I've got somebody who goes well no I've kind of been like this for weeks it's just not getting better it's not getting any worse or I've been like this for months and I'm just I'm get every day I feel less good so that helps us understand those things the other thing is the the kind of the 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 sort of the picture of of the entire person so you know if they feel breathless that's fine what else can't they do 
what else aren't they really wanting to do are people helping them more than they were are they still going to the gym like they were are they still doing the things they would do considered to be their 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 normal activities of daily living and if they are doing those what happens when they do those is that they just feel absolutely exhausted or is it that they just literally can't make their legs work so pulling apart what they are not able to do and what's driving that helps you understand whether you've got essentially a a spectrum of, of issues or whether actually they go my left foot doesn't work and so you're like right okay well that's that's a bit more of a focused problem um and so you can sort of by asking that sort of doing a systems review essentially yeah. allows you to go through and go right this actually they've got we've got all of these issues um and actually also start pulling apart some of the reasons so you know I always think it's quite interesting because the way that our patients develop things like hypothyroidism they develop things quite quickly and so we know in their blood tests that they are becoming hypothyroid so all the things that we classically learn at medical school about things like hypothyroidism so fatigue hair thinning constipation um, you know those things don't necessarily happen but if you've got somebody who had immunotherapy six months ago and hasn't been having regular blood since because they've moved on to a different treatment or they've stopped treatment because they've got to their two years actually you won't be doing regular blood tests on them so actually those symptoms become really very very relevant and they may have developed an occult um, hypothyroidism that actually haven't tested for yet so knowing where your patient is in your in their treatment journey and how regularly you are evaluating them and investigating them also really helps us understand and 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 fatigue is quite often considered to be a late effect um something that people develop either after starting treatment for a long time or they've actually come off treatment for whatever reason and they develop after stopping but part of that may be that they get longer to develop symptoms of their toxicities because actually we aren't evaluating them monitoring them the same way we do when they're when they're receiving treatment so all of those things picking apart where they are which systems are involved how many symptoms they've got going on at any one time how long they've been going on for and how and 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 if and how they resolve allows you to build that picture okay and then Anna so you've mentioned a couple of things there so the late effects I think let's park and we'll do a podcast on it because I think it's a an area in itself the other thing that you've kind of just alluded to is the fatigue that happens post-treatment. And I know that we've talked before about this kind of the neurological um, sequelae of, of IO and people talk about chemo brain. And I know you and I, I'm not sure we've we've used an exact term yet. Maybe you've got one. If you have, let me know. We've talked about that kind of neurological sequelae or after effects of immunotherapy and 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 the the, the little bit of data that's coming around around neurodegeneration. But again, we, we again, it's it's a topic in itself. Maybe if you could just speak to that for a minute or 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 or, or two without getting into it. Because again, I almost think it's another podcast. But is do you think that's a real phenomenon? Do we is the is the evidence building that that's the case? And do you think it's an area we need to be exploring more? I absolutely do. So there's this term that what that um, somebody that um, did a publication, I think it was a I think it was a poster. ASCO described it as immune brain. Um, so we talk about chemo brain a lot, um, and and actually having that kind of fog following treatment. And I think for a long time we weren't sure whether that actually happened in immunotherapy or not, but it it it, it very much is becoming apparent that that is the case and interestingly melanoma focus a a couple of years ago now did a um a patient sort of survey to work out how they were most affected by their immunotherapy and interesting the things that came out of that survey they were most affected by fatigue and this sort of brain fuzziness which as i say somebody's coined the term immune brain but we are increasingly looking at sort of the neurocognitive impact of immunotherapy and and whether it's an actual thing or not we also have sort of talked about 
sort of is there a relationship to you know early uh, early onset of um, memory issues is there is you know all of the sort of the cerebral central neurus neurological effects of immunotherapy it would stand to reason that you could have a neurocognitive impairment um, and actually the evidence is building so there was a nice session at ESMO last year um, about this um, and there are more and more publications coming through about the fact that neurocognitive function is increasingly um, identified as becoming um, reduced um, following immunotherapy. Most of the studies at the moment are um, qualitative, um, so they're small studies looking at a small number of patients who've been treated. Quite a lot of them focus on ipilimumab because they've got the long, obviously patients have been receiving that for the longest, so looking at sort of that late that late effect on neurocognitive function. But it's somewhere between 30 to 50% of people with immunothera- that have received immunotherapy and have had an, an, a sort of an enduring response who are describing some degree of neurocognitive um, impact and the effect on their quality of life that that's associated with. So I think this probably is, you know, this is a really big subject, but it's one of the things that I actually start talking to patients about now that having seen sort of the data that's been emerging, because again, it's not something that I necessarily talked about at the beginning when I started giving immunotherapy, but understanding sort of the long-term impact on your cognition is important. And I have seen not not hundreds of patients but I have seen some patients been quite significantly affected by this just not feeling like their brain works like it used to they're not as sharp as they were they don't feel necessarily that they are able to process as quickly they feel that they've slowed down and sometimes people will describe that neurocognitive slowing as fatigue like they feel like they're walking through mud or their brain just doesn't work as well those things definitely are, are coming out and people are describing those symptoms. I suppose for me, the two questions that we need to answer by talking to people who have studied it more than we have is how, how genuinely, how, what is the incidence? And also, is there anything we can do to help? Is this a, is this a case of sort of doing sort of, you know, does more Sudoku help? You know, I don't know sort of that kind of that brain sort of exercise, that brain functioning. Is there things we should be advising our patients to be doing during and after immunotherapy? I think there's lots of questions. And also because it's probably an immune phenomenon, does immunosuppression have any role at all? It doesn't feel inherently that it would do because actually what do you do keep people on immunosuppression forever? But where does that fall and how does that how does that fit? I think there's loads of questions in this space that are evolving, but the evidence is certainly climbing to say this is in fact a thing um, and actually probably something we need to spend some serious time thinking about in the in the not too distant future and also think about consenting our patients for it because if we're going to give them longevity of response or with treating them in the adjuvant setting that's fine but they need to be aware of the fact that this is a possibility and the thing I don't think any of us know at the moment is is it something they're going to have to deal with in the short term i.e months after treatment or is it something that some people are going to have to deal with for, for the long term? And that's a really important thing. Again, not necessarily a reason not to have treatment at all, but just something that it's like kind of that forewarned is forearmed setting, isn't it? Okay. And, and just then before we leave that, Anna, so for those, because again, I, I, I have to be honest, I'm not sure I am having that conversation with patients, but like you say, that narrative evolves daily in terms of what I say and, and is getting longer rather than shorter. And, <laughs> uh, but, but, that said, I, ironically, the thing that's quickened up my consultations and offset that is many of the patients are listening to the patient podcast and saying, actually, I've had time beforehand to digest some of this stuff. So, 
in terms of if you if you're if the listener is thinking or you know whoever's listening is thinking actually i, I want to kind of mention that to patients but i don't want to leave them with questions that i don't have answers to how how can you how are you couching that conversation at the moment you know i'm presuming it's a a fairly small conversation you're having you're just highlighting it's a thing how do we how how should the audience highlight it's a thing without then feeling vulnerable that they don't know all the research and they don't know what it looks like and they don't know the role for immunosuppression yeah, I mean, I think it is, it's about not getting too bogged down in it. I think the thing about immunotherapy at the moment and what I tend to say to a lot of people is we are still very much learning. Um, and so we will we we will learn as we go. We will be able to, we'll have more hard facts and figures probably towards the end of your treatment journey than we do now. But just to say that if you do start feeling a little bit foggy and you do start feeling sort of a little bit like your sort of your your brain isn't working quite as quickly as it was before. Just let us know, um, because again, I think it's about being aware of these things. And and quite a lot of the studies have reported that um, mild to moderate symptoms are much less likely to be reported, and therefore haven't been picked up before because they're quite difficult to evaluate, difficult to treat. Um, and so actually, people are sort of struggling with them. And I think a lot of this is about peer support, patients, you know, uh, and actually being able to sort of link up with with other people to say you know we're all going through this how have you managed what's your coping mechanism so I tend to have a very high level conversation saying you might find that you get a bit a bit a bit of brain fog we know that this is a possible thing we're we're, we're still learning about it but just let us know if you start feeling like that and you start experiencing it and I tend to leave it at that and because I can't tell them anything more than that at the moment I just know that it's a possibility but when you when I've dug down to it with patients who have reported it they'll tell me things like they thought they were going mad and they thought they were imagining it and they thought they were being really acopic and that's really scary so what what you kind of want to do is kind of go this is a possibility don't worry about it too much but if you start experiencing it you're not you've not lost the plot you've not you know that there's nothing you know, you're not doing anything wrong you haven't you haven't not managed this it's just that it's one of the side effects very much like I would want them to tell me if they had swollen ankles or they were breathless it's it's kind of putting it into the same category okay that's fantastic okay now look um I think that's actually been a fairly comprehensive discussion around definition which I wasn't expecting was going to take 20 minutes so look let's bring this into a close and then the next one let's get into presentation let's think about some of those differentials how we might pull them apart uh, and then let's get into the meat of it so I will see you again shortly I will see you there Cool. I'll send you.